Our ability to feel deeply is a gift from God, and our emotional health plays an important role in how we interact with other people, for better or for worse. Understanding what emotional health looks like biblically and learning how to discipline our unwanted emotions will lead to stronger relationships in every area of our lives. Join us for this new message series as we learn together how to deal with what we feel. We are in the middle of a series called Mixed Emotions, how to deal with what you feel. And over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the fact that our ability, our capacity for emotions and our ability to feel things and respond to them is a gift from God. We also recognize that our emotional health has a lot to do with our spiritual health. There's no way to to separate those things. It's like mixing the water with the wine and trying to take it back out. Those things are inseparable. And part of how we function as emotional beings, made that way by God, has a big, big impact in who we become and what we do for the kingdom. So we're going to talk a little bit more. We did a big overview the last couple of weeks, and today we're going to talk about what happens when we feel busy. And some of you might say, well, Pastor Nate, I don't feel busy. I am busy. You want to look at my calendar? I'll show you all the stuff I got going on. That may also be true. That may also be true. But sometimes there's a feeling of busyness that happens when our life is not quite in order the way that it should be. Or sometimes there's a feeling of busyness when we're not spending enough time on the right things or with the right person. And you may be busy, you may feel busy, it may be a mixture, or it may be all of the above. The question is, what do we do about it? In our series that we did called Easter People, we talked a little bit about Mary, who's a sister of Lazarus, who was a friend of Jesus that died. Maybe you've heard about Jesus raising Lazarus back to life. By the way, side note, not my notes. There's no mention that Jesus and Lazarus were ever friends again after that. It's kind of funny, like, why'd you bring me back from this? Anyway, that's, I just find humor in the Bible. But we're, we're not talking about Lazarus today. We're talking about Mary and her sister Martha. And they lived in Bethany just outside of Jerusalem, again, with their brother. And there was a time when Jesus came to visit this house. And these women both encountered Jesus, but they handled the experience differently. And they received something very different. Before I read that passage, though, I just want to do a little social experiment here. Maybe it'll help you, help me, help you in the end. I want to just ask you, we're not going to do anything weird, but go ahead and just close your eyes with me for just a moment. Just close your eyes. It's okay. I'm not going to shoot anything at you. No water guns coming your way. Close your eyes, and I'm going to say a phrase, and what I want you to do is just think about the first thing that comes to mind when I say this phrase, and just hold it for a second. We'll have an awkward silence for a moment. So that you can just really ponder what comes to mind. So go to close your eyes and here's the phrase, the simple life. When I say the phrase, the simple life, what comes to mind? Now you don't have to yell those back at me. I want you to just hold it in your head. You can open your eyes again. But I want you to think about like what comes to mind and what kind of feeling came with that. And for me, when I was working on this and I paused and I thought, what was the simple life? Simple life was when I could go to the mailbox and get a birthday card instead of a bill. You know what I'm saying? Come on, somebody. You get that birthday card from your grandparents when you're seven years old. It's awesome. You get a little older, you start getting stuff in the mail you don't want. Why are they sending me that? They either want my money, they're telling them I owe them some money. It's always something, right? The simple life. Or maybe you were thinking about your honeymoon when you got to get away with your spouse with no kids or a vacation without kids. You were thinking... Oh, I could really use that right now. Or maybe you love your kids, but you were thinking about time with your kids and no electronics. Amen. 
simple life. Simple life. See, God puts those moments in time in our lives. I believe he puts those, those things of beauty in there for us to enjoy. The problem is, is that we don't often appreciate them until they're gone. And over time, the busyness of life comes along, and we have those moments less and less frequently. Sometimes people in, they miss out on all of that altogether because their lives are so busy from start to finish. Or maybe their parents' lives were so busy. Or the way that they handled their feelings of busyness was so much that even as a kid, you didn't even get to experience a simple life, maybe when you should have. Today I want to talk a little bit about how God has designed us to live. He designed us to live not in a way that is constantly overwhelming, but in a way that actually is a little more simple, or maybe a better way to say it is more focused, less complicated, more of the right things, less of the wrong things. With that in mind, let's take a look at our passage today from Luke chapter 10. We'll throw it on the screens. It's in your notes. I'll even read it for you. It says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. See, in this passage, we see how Mary and Martha, they have two totally different perspectives. I don't know if you, how many of you have ever had someone coming over to the house, and you're getting everything cleaned up, and, and, and you, know, you, you thought you just put all those dirty socks that the kids left all over the stairs back into their hamper, and magically there's more there that appear. And then the person that's coming over shows up, and maybe they're a few minutes early, and one of you just decides, this is probably me in my house, oh, I'm just going to sit down and entertain this person, and someone else in my house, um, my lovely wife, She's still working, trying to make everything right for our guests. And how many know when I'm sitting and she's working, <laughs> we get to have a different conversation later. Amen. You're awesome, babe. I love you. You're amazing. You bring the, the peace and order to our home. Love you for it. But it's a, it's a little different when it's a friend that pops by or when it's Jesus. <laughs> and in this moment, in this moment, Martha had the same chance that Mary did, but she didn't take advantage of it in the same way. Although she received Jesus into her house and she served him, she didn't receive, I don't think, the joy that came that Mary had to just sit at his feet. And Mary, on the other hand, she took advantage of the moment sitting at the feet of Jesus, which brought change into her life. I think, I think there's, a, there's a message for us in here. In fact, I think that if we really want to be emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy people, we have to learn to look beyond the circumstances and focus ourselves on the person of Jesus. After all, he is the literal embodiment of God's plan for our life. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he told people, don't believe in me, follow me. I mean, no, it wasn't that hard for people that were standing there listening to him talk to believe he was standing right in front of them. But when he said, follow me, things got tricky. Jesus says, follow me. I truly believe that our proximity to Jesus is a substantial factor in whether or not we live in a way that breathes life into others or breeds distress. Our proximity to Jesus has a lot to do with that. 
As we study both how he lived and how he pursued the heart of the Father, and we decide that we're going to live the same, he will change us and help us to become who he's made us to be. Jesus knew how important it was for us to abide in him when he said these words in John chapter 15. I think it's actually chapter 5. No, John 15, 5. There we go. He says, yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me. Everybody say the word remain. Remain's a little different than like drop in, pop in, see you when I need you kind of thing. Call on me when you're hurting. Call on me when you're sick. Call on me when you're broke. By the way, you can still do all of that if you just remain. So he says, remain in me. And I in them... If you do this, it will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How many of you would like to have a fruitful life? I hope you put your fruitful life. The other side is not good. Yes, Steve is waving for everybody. He's able to cover the whole room. Fruit for everybody. Jesus says if you want to have a fruitful life, remain in him. That's what we're talking about today, learning how to remain daily in the Word of God in the presence of Jesus. And then we'll talk about some things that we do that keep us close to Him and His heart in a few moments. So here's some things I think we can learn from this little interaction with Mary, Martha, and Jesus. The first thing is, number one, is that distraction creates distance. Distraction creates distance. I have a question for you. You don't have to answer it to me, but just really answer it to yourself. I have a question for you. What in your life right now is distracting you from spending time in God's word and in prayer? It's easy to do. Just think about that for a minute. What is it? What is it? And it might not be a bad thing, by the way. Sometimes I think we get on this, this kick about sin, and sin's important to, to understand and to avoid and to go the other way from. There we go. Our curtain's just coming down. That's all good. Per portable church. Bless the Lord. Sin sometimes isn't the problem, though. Sometimes it's the good stuff. Martha wasn't doing anything bad. She, in fact, she's being hospitable. Paul tells us that's a gift of the Spirit, hospitality. Maybe she even had it. She was functioning in her gift. But she didn't choose the better part in that moment. Sometimes it's the good things that get in the way of the God moments. It's not complicated. It's actually pretty simple if we think about it. Sometimes what Jesus is calling us to is just to say, whatever else is in front of me is not as important as spending time with you right now. My dad is a great example of this in my life. And, and he practices something called daily office. And he will spend time with Jesus, um, really no matter what else is going on. And he told me one time, he said, you know, if the President of the United States scheduled a meeting with you and, and you put the meeting on your calendar, you probably wouldn't miss it. I might. Now, I don't know. I'm not sure it would help for me to go and talk to anybody in Washington about anything. But the point remains, when you schedule an appointment with someone important, you keep it. And so he schedules this appointment, and even though it's Thanksgiving Day and the whole family's waiting to take pictures, we can't find him because he's off spending time with Jesus. <laughs> and sometimes we laugh, and sometimes we, we grumble and complain, but at the end of the day, I really look and go, man, Jesus is really important to my dad, like more important than me. And that doesn't actually hurt my feelings. It inspires me to want to follow Jesus better. Here's the other problem. Sometimes I think there's no busier person in the whole world than someone who's trying to manage the expectations or perceptions of other people. And the reason I mention that is because 
My dad knows that the family would prefer him to not leave in those moments. But he's not bothered by our expectations. He's bothered by the expectations of Jesus and what he expects in those moments. And I think sometimes we can kind of live our lives in a way that goes, well, God's always there, so God will just get what's left. He'll be there when I finally go to sleep and everyone else has turned their phones off, so I'll just plow through the day, talk to the people, do the things. And when there's nobody left to talk to, maybe I'll talk to God if I can still keep my mind awake. That's sometimes, I think, how many of us approach our relationship with Jesus. And I think because of that, whether you're really busy or not, you'll end up feeling very busy because that place of focus that you really needed with the person you needed it most isn't happening. There's a lot of things that can distract us from Jesus and from time with him. The opinions of other people we just talked about. The expectations that other people put on us. The, the need to go make a little more money. Well, time is money, Pastor. And if I, if I spend 30 minutes praying or 30 minutes working, I, I could give more to the church if I just spent 30 minutes working instead of praying. Keep your money and get on your knees. Jesus needs your time. Maybe it's your past. Maybe you think, oh, I've just, I've done too many bad things. God wants nothing to do with me right now. Why would I go spend time with him? He's repulsed by me. No, he's not. He died for you. He's repulsed by your sin, and he's desperate to cleanse you of it and come and be close to you anyway. Don't let your past keep you away from him when he wants to be with you. Maybe it's other people's imperfections. Maybe you think, well, I just come to church, and it's full of hypocrites, and nobody does what they say they're going to do, and they treat me bad, and they've done this and that. By the way, if that ever happens here, you come tell me, and we'll fix it. We want to treat you good in this place but that's not the point how somebody else treats you has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not Jesus needs wants deserves your time and is ready to meet you and give you a good gift when you come to him don't let these things get in the way of the thing that matters most in Hebrews we're challenged to keep our eyes on Jesus let me read this and we'll talk about it for a second says this, Hebrews 12, 2, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Did you know that? You don't have to perfect your faith. He does. But we do this. I like to read the Bible backwards sometimes. We perfect our faith by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Does that make sense? Let's keep going. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. It's almost hard to read that verse and take it seriously when it's just that quick. Because of the joy awaiting him. This is speaking about the crucifixion of Jesus. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Let that sink in for a minute. I know life gets hard. I bet none of you ever have to hang naked on a cross in front of the whole town. I hope that never happens, and I bet it probably won't. It happened to Jesus, and he considered it joy. He was going there for you. He was going there to make a way for you to have access to the Father, to the throne room. And the Word tells us to keep our eyes on him. Here's why keeping your eyes on him is important. Your eyes dictate your direction. What you look at is where you go. You don't believe me? Drive down the road. No, actually, don't do this. But if you were to drive down the road and you just look at the lane next to you and not the one in front of you, your car will end up there eventually. When you're walking, and you will, you just walk out the back of this school and set your eyes on the field but try to walk towards the technology building, 
It's going to get dicey somewhere along the way. You're going to want to go where your eyes lead you. You're made that way. This is the way it is in the natural. This is also the way it is in the spiritual. And so this is why the Bible tells us to fix our eyes. Fix, not glance, not look occasionally. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Because in doing so, you can actually follow him. Here's the problem. Our eyes are constantly on other people and other things. And where we look is where we go. What we see is what our heart wants. So we inevitably wind up comparing ourselves to other people. And when that happens, we quickly become discontent with what's going on in our lives. Because our eyes aren't fixed on Jesus. They're fixed on Facebook. Here's the problem. Number two, comparison steals contentment. Comparison steals contentment. Listen, we've had social media long enough. Most of you know this. But anytime you compare yourself at social media, just know these are the rules of the game. You're looking at someone else's best. You're looking at your worst. And then you're trying to figure out how to get from here to there. That is a futile, fruitless game to play. Comparison will steal your contentment. Jesus and time with Jesus will always bring contentment. Maybe not in every circumstance, but in here where it matters most. So I believe when Mary walks in, she's like, yeah, I know we could have cleaned a little better and maybe we could have cooked some better food, but just get the chips out and let's sit down and talk. Because being with him is what matters most. And when we do that, if you don't do this, if this practice is not in your life, I can understand how the words I'm saying right now, you might be thinking, you sound like a crazy person. I'm not going to just sit down and pray and magically be content. I need a better house. I need a better car. I need a better blah, 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 blah. Those are the things I need. And I'm here to tell you that's a lie. That's a trap. Time with Jesus will bring contentment to the inner person. And then you'll look and go, eh, maybe I'm okay with this house. I have Jesus. Maybe I'll drive that car until the wheels actually fall off. I need Jesus. This is how it works. This is how it works. By the way, God didn't call you to be anybody but you. So you can look to other people's lives, you can learn from them, it's great to read books, great to make observations and decide, but I'm telling you what, I'm looking for what's going to help me be the best me, I'm not looking for a way to become you, or anybody else. God made you to be you. He knows who he made you to be, and he knows how to help you get there. This is why we fix our eyes on him. Now I will say one word about contentment, I think this is important. Because it seems like we kind of live in a day and age where there's more and more extremes. And extremes sometimes show up like this. Some people are workaholics. They work really hard. They work, work, go, go, go. And then some people are kind of lazy. So let's just say this. Don't confuse, don't confuse contentment for complacency. We're not called to be complacent. We're not called to take what God has given us and bury it. Hide it under a bushel? No, right? You've heard the song before. That's not what we're supposed to do. Parable of the sower, the one who had one and was scared to lose it and buried it, Jesus said, you're wicked. It's kind of a scary story. So we're not talking about complacency here. We should always be on the move, but on the move towards the one who we have fixed our eyes on. Okay. Now let's talk about some of the struggle along the way. The reason this is hard, and we talked about this a little bit last week, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, but there's actually two yous sitting here right now. If you've given your life to Jesus anyway, if you haven't, there's still just one. I've got a friend of mine, Miss Sheila, she, she's funny, she was trying to get, lead her dad to the Lord in his old age, and he would tell her, oh, I believe in Jesus. She said, sir, I don't believe you do, because I've only ever seen one you. And the word says, if any man be in Christ, the old things have passed away and all things have been made new. I need to see two you, and I only see the one you. <laughs> it's pretty funny. 
But it's also true because there's an old you that needs to be changed into a new creation. Paul talks about this. Galatians 2.20 says this. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. There's two of you. And sometimes it's easy, man, to revert back into that old person. It's easy to get distracted by the things that used to distract us. You can have some amazing encounters with Jesus, and that old man just says, hey, I'm still here. This is why I've said for a long time the most important day of the week for Christians is not Sunday. And it is an important day. not saying it's not. But it's not the most important. The most important day is not when you go to a conference or you go to a seminar or you go to a tent revival or whatever kind of thing you go to where you feel extra super spiritual for that day. And you feel like, oh man, if every day could just be like this, guess what it won't be? The most important day is Monday when new you and the old you gets to live it fixing your eyes on Jesus. That's when it gets real. That's when it gets hard. But that's also when the miracles can come. It's really not hard to serve Jesus here in church today. It might be hard at 4 o'clock today. It might be hard at 7 o'clock in the morning. Right now, this is good. Let's build up. Let's make some decisions. But then we have to execute them by fixing our eyes on Jesus, not on other people, not on comparison. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus. And when we do that, number three, fixing our eyes on him will help us to stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. How many of you have been weary or burdened? Any time, just even in the last month. Come on, some, I had somebody put up two hands. They started doing this in first service. Like yesterday, this morning, I'm still feeling it right now. Yeah, there we go. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Sometimes we don't come to him because we're burdened, because we're weary, because we're broken, because of our past. I can't come and pray right now. I just have to go do this thing. I have to go fix this problem. God don't want to talk to me anyway. He wants me to get back to work. He wants me to go do something. He wants me to go, listen, there's a lot of things God wants you to go do, but first he wants you to come. He wants you to come to him. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Say souls. Rest for your souls. Listen, we live in a time right now where we have the luxury, many of us do, not everyone, but many of us have the luxury to take vacations because, man, we're just so tired. We're just so weary. I just need a beach to put my feet in the sand so I can get some rest. I mean, no, you go on a vacation, you come back, you need a vacation. I mean, you need the vacation after the vacation, especially if you went with kids. Take your kids to Disney World, you better plan for two days when you get back so you can actually get ready to go back to work and to life. Listen, vacation is not the restful place for your soul. It might be for your body, possibly for your mind. Vacations are good, they're awesome, but I'll tell you, they're for a different purpose than rest for your soul. Now, if you can rest your soul with Jesus in a Bible on a beach in Mexico, take me with you. I'll do that too. You just sit in solace and just read our word. Yeah, Shane's coming. Anybody else? Can I get a number? Yeah, three, four. There we go. I don't know who's going to pay for it, but I believe in faith it's going to happen. Come on. The rest that we need is for our souls. And I'm telling you, this is not a 
sit back and do nothing rest. It's actually an active rest of pursuing Jesus. And as you do that, though your body may tire, though your mind may tire, your soul will be at rest when you spend the time you need with your creator. So how do we stay close to Jesus? How do we stay close to Jesus? Number one, spend time with him daily. Spend time with him daily. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to even rephrase the way I have this. We said stay close to Jesus, but I'm going to say, how do you stay close to the heart of Jesus? Because the next two points are really more about staying close to his heart, even necessarily, than to him. But number one, spend time with him daily. Joshua 1.8 says this, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything, say everything, written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Listen, I'm going to tell you, you will be amazed at how much difference it will make in your life if you will actually spend at least 15 minutes just in the presence of God praying every day. I'm not talking about the right when you wake up, Lord, help me through this day, help me make some money, help me to get what I want, amen, and walk away. That's not what I'm talking about. That's probably actually bad for you instead of good for you to pray those kind of prayers and move on. He's still there waiting for you to actually come and pray. All you did was just throw some stuff into the air that you want. But if you will take 15 minutes, just 15 minutes, and actually devote it to Jesus, turn off the radio, turn off the phone, get off the whatever, and spend it with Jesus, I think you will be amazed at how God will use that to transform your faith. Transform your faith, you really will. Number two. This kind of gets more to the heart of Jesus. How do you stay close to the heart of Jesus? I think you have to prioritize church weekly. Listen, when Jesus got on that cross and he died to save you from hell and he went into the tomb and he rose to bring you back to life, that's an important piece of it too. We talked about this a couple times already in our short 12 weeks as a church. But Jesus did not just die to save you from something. He died to save you for something. And the for something is spiritual family, to be a part of the family that he is building. When is Jesus going to come back? I don't know, but I know it'll be when he decides his family's big enough, and it ain't big enough yet. So he's called us to be a part of his family, and this local expression is part of that family, and I think it's important, if we want to stay close to his heart, that we show up, not for ourselves, for other people. And other people, guess what? They'll be showing up for you. And when we show up with this mutually deferential relationship to say, Andrew, you didn't come to church for me today, I came to church for you. And you go, no, Nate, I didn't come to church for me today I came to church for you and when we do that and we come and we see each other and we engage in each other's lives and we feed on the word together and we go in the same we fix our eyes on what Jesus is saying to us we will stay close to him he will capture our hearts and we will capture his we talk about church attendance it's not because I need your behind in a seat it's because you need everybody else around you and they need you it makes a difference it makes a difference number three and this is sort of our minimum standard for membership here. It's, and it, it is a minimum standard. But it's to serve others monthly. At the very least, when you come, at least once a month, man, do something that is truly involved in serving other people. Jesus came as a humble servant king. I think sometimes we forget that he didn't have to come. Jesus was, was God in eternity past. He is God still. He decided to clothe himself in the humility of humanity, and become like you and me so that he could serve us, teach us how to live, teach us how to follow the Father, and give us an example to follow. Hebrews calls him our forerunner. He did what we need to do before we could do it. 
And now he's enabling us and equipping us to do it. Listen, this is not an in-depth message. I could add about 10 more points right now, but I know you want to get to lunch. So we're going to stop with these three. But if you want to deal with the feelings of busyness, I'm going to, maybe it sounds like, wait, didn't you tell me I need to not be so busy, but now you're telling me to come to church every week, serve every month? Yes, I am. Because when you prioritize time with God, time with God's people, time with God's word, you will find that that kind of busyness brings a peace to your soul. It will bring you to life. It will give you a purpose that will cause the anxiety to leave, the anxiousness to go away, and you will feel the support of the God who made you and the people that he's put around you, and it will change your life life forever. Go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. I'm just going to stop abruptly before I keep preaching. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that you came, Jesus, that you came and gave your life for us. What's interesting is you didn't just die for us, you lived for us. And now you've called us not to an old covenant sacrifice of blood, but a sacrifice of the living to be a living sacrifice for you and for others. God, I pray today that the reality of your love for us and your desire for us to embrace you and to, to, to lean into you and to lean into spiritual family, that it's your design for us because you know what's best for us. You know what we need. It's not because you need something for us, from us. It's that you do have something for us. Lord, I believe that's true. I cannot read these scriptures and escape the fact that you have so much more for us than we could ever ask or imagine. So today, Lord, all we can do today is worry about today. Tomorrow will have its own problems, but today, today, God, I pray that you would fill your people with a spirit of peace. Lord, I pray that you would give us a spirit of focus so that we can fix our eyes on you that as we do, as the old hymn says, may the things of earth become strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting Vintage.Church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.